0: Okay, let's pray as so we get started. Then, Lord, we thank you for um, another beautiful day. Thank you for the opportunity to meet as your people here this morning, and we we pray for your Spirit to strengthen us, uh, strengthen our bodies and our souls to to learn and and to worship and to fellowship here today. Lord, we thank you that you have. Um, revealed yourself to us and, uh, what you have made and also the events of life and, uh, history and providence. And so Lord, we pray as we discuss some of these things here today that you would be honored in it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Um, last week, um, Toward the end, we reviewed a little bit of what we've talked about in this segment of our Sunday School, and uh, the primary goal here is to uh, focus on some of the uh, approaches we need to make in terms of studying the Scriptures, and in many ways, it's something that we would do to apply to anything, interpreting anything, Um, and yet, of course, there are some unique things uh, to studying God's Word and um, we talked uh, about some of the basic principles scripture interpreting scripture and the ideas of our circles of context and uh, sometimes we only need to look at uh, one or two or three and it's pretty straightforward. sometimes we need to go through the whole process of looking at context to to help us to understand and um, and then we started talking briefly uh, before the shutdown and just uh, reviewed again a little bit last week about what we call the historical grammatical method and um, this is something that I'm finding more and more is not being done in uh, sermons and lessons uh, even in our circles Uh, we're moving more and more to topical things and um, can you say um, self-help in a Christian format kind of approaches to, to preaching and teaching. And yet, this is something that has been done, really, for centuries, uh, but especially since the Protestant Reformation, and uh, certainly it's something that I try to do with you uh, each week. And so, uh, the, these two terms are vitally important. Um, God has revealed himself in history. Um, something I say regularly, especially at Christmas and Easter and so forth, that these things actually happened. And what I try to do in terms of implementing it on a more regular basis is to look at the history, the dates, the chronology, the geography, and so forth um, whenever we're going through a passage. And so right now, of course, we're going through Acts, and that's pretty easy because it's given to us right there. (laughs) We just look at what Luke records for us, uh, but we look at the maps and we look at some of the geography. I talk about some of the dates of when these things happened and and try to bring out as much of the uh, story as as possible. And I'll do more of that today uh, as we look at Acts 16. Uh, even looking at First Timothy, where it's an epistle and it's not given to us uh, quite so much in terms of these uh, aspects. I still try to bring it out. Paul's not writing in the abstract. Even Romans or Ephesians, that might be some of the most abstract letters that he wrote, he still was writing to real people, to real churches, real events at a certain time and, and place. And uh, the more we think about these aspects, as much as we are able, simply the better we're going to understand the scriptures. It, it's just the way God set it up. He revealed himself in history. So the better we know that history, the better we will understand what he is communicating to us. And, you know, you remember at the end of um, the Gospel of John, he talks about um, how volumes and volumes of books could be written regarding what Jesus did. And we could say that, literally, about uh, history in general and certainly biblical history we could have all kinds of things and, and you'll see like in the book it's a book of the kings you know you can read more about this in the chronicles of whatever uh king or you know whatever it is and so you know with that in mind what we have in the scriptures that's what god wants us to know we certainly can learn other things but it, these are the things he wants us to know to memorize the Um, the the dates and the times and the places and and of course the the various events because it's through these things that he is revealing himself to us it's through these events that he is teaching us about himself and about salvation about sin and uh, how we should live now that we're saved and and so forth and um, seems to be a fairly straightforward idea but i don't know it seems like we're really getting away from that in our circles uh, unfortunately. Now, there are certainly exceptions to that, but it's just uh, becoming more and more that way. Um, even with children and Sunday school and so forth, where we focus on some of these stories, rarely do we see them put together in the story format. Um, and, you know, Nailene has talked uh, to me several times, and I think she's even mentioned it here, that the, the kids that she teaches, how many of them just don't see how does the story of Samson fit with the story of, you know, whoever, um, you know, David or whatever. How, how does this all fit together as a coherent storyline? And so often what it's done is, okay, here's this abstract story, and they don't talk about how it relates to another story in the scriptures. And um, it's really unfortunate. And um, so simply the more we do this, um, the better we'll we'll understand it. And you remember what I talked about here a year ago or so when I talked about trying to be a faithful mouthpiece. That One of the key things that we need to do as a mouthpiece is to focus on um, being um, conversational and not just the rhetorical devices. Uh, But more to the point here, focusing on being uh, emphasizing the narrative of the story, not the abstract ideas. Now, it's not that you do one or the other, but what do you emphasize? And that makes a huge difference in terms of whether the mouthpiece is focusing on him or even herself, or whether we're focusing on God and his word. And in addition to that, a narrative focus, this historical focus, just helps us to understand it better. Um, you know, any any movie producer can tell you that a story is going to help you understand something better than some abstract argument. And um, again, it's not either or, but uh, this is all of this fits together. Um, so, simply let's know the story, um, and and we. We see examples of this, of course, uh, in the scriptures. Think of what Paul did in Pisidian Antioch in Acts 13 when he was reviewing with uh, the, the Jews in the synagogue. Right? He rehearsed the history of, of Israel to some degree. Think of what uh, Peter did at Pentecost and maybe especially what Stephen did uh, in Acts chapter 7. And so we're following that that pattern. Um and so we can apply this in a number of ways, Yeah, like I do here, you know, pull out your maps, let's see where they went. Or I just handed you some maps and, and so forth. Or we can read through the scriptures chronologically, um, or um, give you the dates and times when things happened. Or when I went through Joshua, right, we looked at these place names, and it all fits with this idea and trying to implement it. All right. So um, you may recall then before the shutdown, I tried to do all of these things on the overhead and it was rather hard to see. So <laughs> I thought um, right away I, I contacted Diane. I said, maybe we should just print them off and it would be easier for everybody. So that's what we did. And they've been waiting for us. So here we are. <laughs> so um, let's just briefly look through this and um You can stick this in your Bibles and reference it and combine it with other maps and so on. Um, Let's uh, turn to, I guess these aren't numbered, but it's like the fourth page or something like that. You have the World of the Patriarchs. It's on the back side of one of these pages. and um, um, So, the World of the Patriarchs, map number one, it says... And just uh, to just give us a sense and a brief review here of these things, um, you can see uh, where these places are. So uh, obviously you see some uh, regions that are marked off. You see some boxes with uh, arrows pointing to it. You see Ur the Chaldeans over there to the right. You see about where Sodom and Gomorrah was there. Um, and then the lines are showing you the, the uh, journey of Abraham from Ur all the way up to Haran and then down... Uh, eventually, uh, to the promised land. Of course, down to Egypt and back. You know, it just gives you a sense of where where these things are. Um, and then look at some of the broader places. You see Mount Ararat there toward the north, and Troy way over to the, the north and the west. And um, and so, um, obviously today, um, Ur would be in Iran. And uh, you know, you see where these different places would be. Um, so obviously we're not going to look at this in detail but it just gives you a sense of it and whenever you're reading something in Genesis or some other passage that makes reference to it you can can look at it um, and uh, you know some of your Bibles will have some really good maps some of them maybe not as good or some are good and maybe, maybe you wish there were more so if you turn to the next one then map number two on the Exodus here then you have um, some more of these places. Now all the highlights are um, when I taught this as a class and I had a test on it and so forth, but we won't do any tests here, but <laughs> that's what the, the highlights are, are, are doing, but it hopefully will help you to see it regardless. Um, so you see of course um, Egypt, Ramses, Goshen, um, and then the arrow is a little faded there, but you see it going through Succoth and then down eventually to Mount Sinai. And um, Where did they actually cross the Red Sea? There's the question there. This particular map shows it up uh, much further, and maybe it wasn't the full uh, northwest arm of the Red Sea. Maybe it was one of these lakes up north, and some say, of course, it's further south. So there's some debate on some of that. Um, And uh, you see the traditional location of Mount Sinai. Some want to place it where it says Midian, um, so there, you know, there's some debates on that. I think the traditional one makes some sense. And then, of course, as they go up further and, um, the wandering around was, uh, certainly more than what they show, but they give you a sense of it. And Ezion Geber, the important place, Kadesh Barnea, and then up, of course, um, on the east side of the Jordan and, and into the promised land. So again, just, a, an overview here, um, for some of you, you might think, oh yeah, I, know this quite well, others maybe uh, not as much. And if you turn to the next page here, it turns out to be map number four here, the land of the twelve tribes. Um, uh, Actually, several of these come from my NIV study Bible. Um, This is where where I've gotten these. And uh, here now is, of course, where the twelve tribes are. And so you may remember I had uh, this map when we uh, did the book of Joshua. And the allotment of the promised land to the different tribes and this is where the way it was at the beginning uh, obviously things changed especially with the tribe of Dan and then over time with invasions and and so on and so forth but there you get a sense of, of where they are and how Reuben was um, surrounded by Moab and Ammon and uh, Asher way up toward Tyre and Sidon and and so forth Dan of course eventually went up to You see where Mount Harmon is, and see the place Dan listed there in Naphtali. It was up in that area. Uh, And see how it relates to Damascus. So, um, anyway, you see see some of these. You see where Shiloh is there in Ephraim? That's where they had the tabernacle. And, of course, where Jerusalem is there, too. All right, then you turn to the next page, and that's... um, Israel under Saul, David, and Solomon. And you'll see how the, um, uh, the area is a little bit different. You see how it extends further uh, to the south and east, and even just to the south, further to the north and the east, but not quite as far uh, to the north and west, with where Asher would have been. Um, but you see some of these, these areas and their, their territory. Uh, hopefully the colors show through, through with some of the different uh, tracings there so you get a sense of Saul and then David and then uh, Solomon and how they extend. So it was rather, uh, rather broad. Now, <clears throat> some of the promises that are given, for example, in Ezekiel, They talk about the promised land extending from Egypt up to the great river, the Euphrates. Some people try to use that promise today to say that um, the fulfillment has not yet happened. And we should look for this to happen before Christ returns in the millennium and all those things. And the rebuilding of the temple, you know, all those dispensational kind of arguments. But I read that. Uh, in, in a few different ways, but one of them is it's going to be like what it would be, what it was under Solomon. You see, from the Wadi of Egypt and Geber, all the way up to the Great River, and so um, I, I think it's uh, not going to be fulfilled literally, but it is now fulfilled in the Church and in some of those things. So you, you know, you have different interpretations, but that's how. Um, We would, in our circles, tend to interpret that. But anyway, you see uh, some of this here uh, briefly. Now, if you turn to the next page, we go from some of the geography to now some of the chronology. And this also comes from my NAV study Bible. And and I really like this one because it is much more consistent, I think, uh, with what the dates were. You'll... You'll find dates, um, let's do it this way, if you turn uh, to the next page where it shows um, uh, the uh, Exodus, right there, the very first one, it's highlighted in yellow. The Exodus 1446, Um, some people will date that about 1290 B.C., Well, if they date it 1290 B.C., you know that they have a different view of what the Bible says about 430 years and some other references. And so they interpret those things not literally, but figuratively. So whenever you see a chronology of when things happened, you look for some key things. Because that's going to tell you what their interpretation is. So the NIV here interprets 1446 when the Exodus took place. I think as you piece together certain key passages, that this this is how we should understand it. And um, uh, the twelve ninety date for the Exodus is based a lot on archaeology, but the archaeology has certain presuppositions that exclude, you know, this idea that oh, the you know the Iron Age couldn't have been before a certain time or you know something like that. And uh, I think their presuppositions limit. Um, their interpretation uh, in that way. So um, so back to the other page then. Starting with that 1446 B.C. date, now you come back, you see there uh, Abraham, 1291, moves to Canaan. So I, I think that's right. If you go with 1290, then you're a couple hundred years um, uh you know, closer to Christ there. But, but I think this is how, how it would best fit. So then you go back to the very beginning here, uh, Genesis 1 to 11, and the creation of things. Of course, when exactly was that? Is, is Usher exactly right or close to being right? You know, all those questions that go into it. And so therefore, the flood would have been roughly around 2,500 B.C. and, um, and so forth. And then, of course, as you make your way to the right, you come to Abraham, and then uh, when Jacob and Esau were born, and uh, Ishmael and Isaac below this, this bar, and uh, see some of those dates, and you see how they overlap. Okay? Abraham was alive when Jacob and Esau were born, for example. Um, you don't always think about that, the way Genesis is presented to us. that You might assume that he has died by then, but... But no, so then 1929 BC Jacob goes to Haran and such, and then you'll see in 1876 that's when they come to Egypt, and then look when you know Joseph's born and Isaac dies. These all these different dates, and and uh, as we piece all of this together, then as you're reading through these passages, it just makes so much more sense. It helps it come alive. Helps you see how it fits together, and it's not quite so abstract. Uh, for us. Now, Job, when did he live? I don't know, (laughs) but uh, probably uh, somewhere there in the 16th century BC, uh, somewhere in that time frame. See the birth of Moses then, about 1526. So now, as we turn uh, to the next page here, of course, I already mentioned the Exodus, and then the conquest, right, about 40 years later when Moses dies, Joshua dies, we think, um, right around 1380. Uh, there's no date on there specifically, but th- about that time frame. Um, now, you may have wondered, what's at the bottom of these pages? Well, here are some of the um, nations and key events and so forth from from some of the nations outside of the Scriptures. So you get a, a little sense of how that compares to, to other th- things that were happening at the time. You'll notice there on on this page where it has Exodus and Conquest, at the very bottom right you see the kingdom of Lydia, and I mentioned that here last week um, in Acts 16. So anyway, it continues. Um, you see, of course, um, some of the judges, and then um, Samuel, his birth, and Samson, and then of course uh, David. And um, there's a lot that goes on then, <laughs> from 1050, especially to uh, beyond uh, up to the, the exile in Malachi, there's a lot in there. And you'll see how I highlighted when some of the books were written. And this is so helpful. And I I've, I've had several of you say when we read through the Bible chronologically, it was just so helpful to read kings or something and then read, you know whatever, Uh, prophet and just seeing how that is put together and so you'll see that and notice uh, let me highlight Obadiah I agree with this date some people try to put Obadiah way uh, later toward the exile but I think it fits best here right around 850 BC and that's where they have it Uh, I would also say Joel I see how I uh, penned that one in some try to put that much later, but I think that's that's about right. And uh, so compare that. You know, Obadiah was uh, written about the time that Elijah and Elisha were ministering. So again, just you know, see how, how these things overlap. Um, and uh, uh, like for Isaiah, you got an arrow pointing you over to the solid line. So you know, follow some of those things see his dates and I put north to in other words they ministered to the northern kingdom and Isaiah of course to the southern kingdom as well um, because he he bridges uh, when the exile of the north took place and you'll see that in bold there above the bar follow the northern kingdom so anyway again my my goal here isn't just to go through everything but just to give you uh, a sense of when these things happen and you can uh, look at this um, obviously, you have the exile and then the restoration and under Ezra and Nehemiah and uh, the three books that were written at that time. Um, of course, Daniel and Ezekiel overlapping there to some degree. All right. <clears throat> so that's, in a very brief nutshell, uh, the Old Testament time frame and some of the maps and geography. Any questions you have or comments to this point well let's turn then to the first map now and that is Jesus' ministry and here first uh, some of the geographical places and obviously there's a whole bunch of boxes here (laughs) on uh, where and what happened there Um, and so um, you could look at any one of these obviously you see Nazareth um there where he uh, was raised as a boy transfiguration near to Nazareth there at Mount Tabor go all the way up to Caesarea Philippi near Mount Hermon um some think the transfiguration took there but at least we know that's when Peter confessed Jesus as the Messiah and Jesus first predicted his death um you see some of the question marks. The Sermon on the Mount is that there in Chorazin north of Capernaum, is that where it was? Um, so there's some, you know, some questions. Notes also baptism right in the middle there, possible site Bethany beyond the Jordan. But then you come down lower or uh, further south, you have another possible Bethany beyond the Jordan. So you know there are some questions on where these places were, but at least you get a sense of where they are. Um, you see Decapolis there. Remember the the uh, man with demons there at Gadara and and so forth. So, lots of things. One thing they don't have here is you see Machaerus there at the bottom right uh, beyond the Dead Sea. That's where John the Baptist was held, in prison and beheaded. So, uh, just another one to to add there uh, to this. So anyway, it gives us a sense of of where things were. So if you then turn to the next page, <clears throat> here now we have the, the chronology. <clears throat> and again, I is following the NIV, and, and I think they're right here in terms of our dating. <clears throat> um, you'll see at the very bottom, it says about Herod the Great, 37 to 4 BC. So he dies in 4 BC. Obviously, Jesus had to be born before that, right? So probably in 5 or 6 BC. So now go up to the the bar up further. And so that's where we get that date. So it's not 2020. It's maybe 2025 or something to that effect. (laughs) Um, And then, of course, you see uh, some of the events uh, on the bottom Some of the the kings and leaders, Jerusalem's destruction there in 70, Nero, you see I have highlighted there too. Um, And uh, uh, right now on Paul's second missionary journey, Claudius is the one who is Caesar. and So that's um, some overlap there. So then back to the top line again, you see uh, some of the key events in Jesus' life. Um, John's baptism, there about 26 um, AD, uh, Jesus beginning his ministry. And then the crucifixion, close to 30 BC. Um, Some will say uh, maybe a little before, maybe 29, um, but somewhere in there. And then Pentecost. Now there's debate on when Paul was converted. Some say 35, some say maybe closer to 33. Some will maybe even go a few years later. Uh, but about that time frame. And now you see the dates that we've been talking about. Paul's first missionary journey, Jerusalem Council, and now a second missionary journey. And um, we don't have on here um, when some of the books are written, but I do have it on one of these other pages. But some of them are there, and, um, and I highlight those. Alright, well if you turn the page then... <coughs> Now we have a much more detailed chronology. And this one, and of course you're going to have some debate, but this one says how um, Jesus starts his ministry there in uh, 29, and you even have October of 29 when some of these things are happening. And uh, obviously the references to it, uh, the different passages. And you see, onto the next page, uh, it continues, and some of the events, um, obviously, a Passion Week, and up there to the, the top right, and then after the Resurrection, below the the bar there. So, uh, anyway, I encourage you to to look at these things. Um, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but when I do this, I, it just makes it come alive. It's like this is real. This is. Um, it's not just a story. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, then you'll see on the next page something that I came up with. And that's a supplement to the timeline here. And um, I went through all the books of the New Testament and when they may have been written. And so Matthew probably... Well, I would say for sure it must have been before the fall of Jerusalem. And so most conservative scholars would say around the mid-60s. Now, Mark, I have 55. You might remember I mentioned here a couple of weeks ago, that's the early end of things. Some will say maybe closer to 60, 65 A.D., probably at the latest. Um, and that has to do with who wrote first, If you agree with the position that Mark wrote his gospel before Matthew and Luke did, then obviously that has to be before when they they did. And if Luke wrote his about 62 or 63, which does make a lot of sense, then uh, Mark had to write his before Luke did. Um, Now, historically, many people thought Matthew wrote his gospel first. That's why they put it first in our New Testament. Um, So there's that position, too. Uh, But you get a sense that within uh, 10 years, the synoptics were written. And then you have John, of course, um, roughly 20 years after. Um, And then you have Paul's epistles, Romans, the third missionary journey in 57, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, where and when. Galatians, as we've talked about here recently, right Right after the first missionary journey. Um, and then the, the prison epistles, there, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. And then 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, we'll talk about those when we get there, here on the second missionary journey. And then 1st uh, Timothy and Titus, written about the same time, and then 2nd Timothy, right before Paul died. Um, Acts... Um, obviously written after Luke how much longer after we don't know maybe a year or something but Hebrews obviously you don't know who wrote it um, but in light of what the author writes about he would think if Jerusalem had fallen and the temple had been destroyed he would have said something about it and he doesn't so that leads us to think he must have written before the fall of Jerusalem and uh, so you see those dates now James may very well be the first uh, book written in the New Testament. There is some debate here. Some will, will date this later, um, and uh, after the, the Jerusalem Council, for example. Uh, so there's again. This is among conservatives. Um, liberals, of course, you know they got some crazy dates. But um, and so this may have been the first one, and not Galatians. But uh, those two are probably first either way. Uh, the first two books written, then you see, of course, Peter's um, two letters and Jude, and then the letters of John, and you see how much later uh, into the first century we get, and then at the bottom you put it all in order. So again, there's some debate on this, you know, but we're not too far off in terms of uh, of these dates, and some of them are very precise um, as to when they were written. All right, again, my goal here is is not specificity, but just an impression, if you will, and just to give you a sense and encourage you to to spend some time looking at these things. If you haven't, I know some of you enjoy this and do this. Uh, but uh, in light of um, our goal here of interpreting Scripture, this is really required of us to do. And the more we do this, the better we will understand what God is communicating to us. All right, any final comments or questions here today? and Yeah. 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 Well, I don't use the NAV as a uh, solid source for my translations but uh i do reference it (laughs) but i have always appreciated their their maps and timelines in the back Um, very good dale you look like you're going to say something Well, as I've said before, I'm using ten sources for my study of Acts. And every one of them has something really good in it. And every one of them, I'm like, well, I'm not sure that's quite right. But as I piece it all together, I think I come to a good conclusion on things. But, uh, yeah, Um, read discerningly. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, I think Beth told us we're done here for our morning. So the goal next time is to look at this next word, the grammatical aspect of the historical grammatical method. All right. Let's pray together then. Lord, we thank you for for the fact that you are not just out there. You've wound everything up and have nothing to do with us. Um, except maybe on a very rare occasion or something, uh, but that you are um, intimately involved in the events of, of life, including today, not just the ones we've looked at, uh, but certainly uh, the ones we looked at we have as inspired history. And, uh, uh, Lord, we, we thank you for what it teaches us about yourself and about ourselves, what you have done to make a people for yourself, and how you expect your people to live. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to understand this story, this narrative of events and places and and times, that we might more readily understand the the point you're trying to make, the abstract ideas, and that we would more readily um, not just understand it, though that certainly is true, but then uh, also then to live by it. And uh, we pray this um, not just for our children, but even for us as adults, uh, that we would better understand your story. And so, Lord, as we uh, come to worship you now as your people, we pray for your blessings, that you would uh, work mightily in us, and that you would um, help us to, to know this story from Acts 16 even better, and us to live uh, in ways that honor you. And so we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.